Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to another episode of Scoliosis Dialogues, which is the podcast produced by the Scoliosis Research Society. Today's podcast is hosted by the Early Career Surgeon Task Force, and this episode is all about mentorship as in spine deformity research. Today, I am super excited to interview a dynamic pair of surgeons, Dr. Tom Schlosser, uh, who is early in his career, and Dr. Renee Castelline, who is a true expert in our field. Uh, Renee and Tom, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. Yep, you're welcome. So first to Renee, I want to chat with you first. I don't think you remember this, but the first time I met you was at an ICOS meeting in San Diego in 2017. I was about three months out of fellowship and there were so many senior surgeons walking around and hugging each other and talking. And I was kind of sitting at the table all alone and uh, you kind of went out of your way to, to, to start a conversation with me and just kind of find out more about my background. And that really stuck, uh, stuck out to me. And so uh, uh, I think that experience for me really highlights uh, the inherent kind of mentor tendencies that you have uh, inside of you. So I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. I don't believe you looked like you needed men mentoring at that point, but it was just <laughs> nice to talk to you. <laughs> Perfect. So... Uh, tell me a little bit more, tell me a little about your background regarding where you were born, what your parents did for a living, and what your journey into medicine has actually been. Yeah, happy to, to do that. Um, and like I said, it's very nice to, uh, to be part of this podcast together with Tom. Well, like you introduced me, my name is Rene Castellain. I was born in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam, which is a big uh, port uh, into uh, Europe, basically. And I was born in 1954. Uh, so some time ago and uh, went to school there and after I finished my high school I actually uh, went to the United States I did a, uh, a scholarship at Davidson College in North Carolina because at that time my only concern was to become a professional tennis player and I had a tennis scholarship at Davidson uh, College but um, uh, after a year I had a, a sort of an exchange scholarship is what it's called uh, so after a year, I went back because at that time there was sort of a lottery system for the study of uh, medicine in the Netherlands. And um, I happened to, to be lucky enough to get into the education, into the training program. So I decided to um, go on into uh, medicine because I realized I was never going to win Wimbledon anyway. <laughs> so I went into, uh, into medical school at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands and uh, did my, my training there. And then after that, I joined the uh, Royal Dutch Navy uh, as a drafted doctor at that point, not as a professional career, but um, spent two years in the Navy. And then I started my training into orthopedics. That's basically how it started. Perfect. So uh, your time at Davidson College was in North Carolina. Did you pick up a Southern accent during your time there or did it, you know, not take hold? Well, I'll tell y'all that I certainly did. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. I like that. <laughs> what made you pursue a PhD in addition to getting an MD? Is that like something that's really standard in the Netherlands or uh, was it pretty abnormal at your time? I don't think it's it's totally normal. I don't think it should become normal. I think it's uh, the primary aim in our profession is to become a good doctor, which is what I intended to to try to become. 
but I'd always had this interest in, in, you know, trying to figure out a couple of things. And I started during my training years in, um, in the Netherlands, when I was doing my orthopedic training, I started a sort of a research program at the anatomy lab at the University of Leiden uh, into scoliosis, actually. And I tried to set up a couple of studies, didn't work very well. Did a couple of studies at that time on ultrasound of the uh, pediatric hip also. And that ultimately ended up being my PhD program. I had really planned at that time to do a PhD on scoliosis. Uh, like I say, I don't think it's necessary at all. I think it's more important to become a good doctor than to have a PhD. But uh, since I had that interest, um, I, was, I was very happy to be able to, to do that also. And, and that helped me trying to, to think a little bit more critically about certain things. And I was very happy to finish that PhD in, um, in ultrasound of the hip. And then I spent a couple of years, well, actually more than 10 years, I spent in, in general practice uh, doing very general orthopedics like hips and knees, uh, but also the spine, um, the spine fractures, but also degenerative spine and, and scoliosis, because that interest in scoliosis has always remained and that, keep, that kept following me. So then at a certain point, actually in the year 2002, I got asked to uh, become the chairman of the department at the University of uh, Utrecht which is another university city, an old university city in the Netherlands, and to become the chair of the uh, orthopedic department. And I thought, okay, I have a wonderful life in uh, general practice, but my interest into doing more research is still pretty present. So I thought, okay, that would be the reason to go to university. Although in the beginning, there was a lot of hassle and a lot of uh, administration in the, in the department, I started uh, working on that scoliosis thing the scoliosis ideas that i had you know that i wanted to to work on for my own phd basically and then i was fortunate to have um, before tom a couple of phd students that uh, really worked very well and uh, wrote wrote a couple of uh, good papers with me gradually that increased and the funding got better and the continuity got better and we finally were able to build a very strong program i think in scoliosis research and imaging of which Tom at that point had become a very uh, important part. And Tom uh, didn't need too much uh, mentoring uh, from my side. Maybe in the beginning, we, um, we, we exchanged papers back and forth a little bit more than in the end, but he, he got more independent. And by now he has his own research program. So that has worked very well. And then after Tom came a few other guys that uh, are doing good work also, and, and like I say, the funding kept increasing. And right now it's, it's a very substantial part of the research of the uh, orthopedic department uh, at the University of Utrecht. That's awesome. That's more or less how it went. Now I noticed that you spent some time at the uh, Nemours DuPont Hospital back in the eighties. Uh, who were your mentors there? And, uh, and who would you say have been your mentors in uh, the, the world of spine deformity? Yeah, um, well, the most uh, at that time for my my fellowship at DuPont, uh, Dean McEwen was he was a great mentor. I mean, um, he was a very critical person, but I admired him and still do. Uh, and I've visited him since a couple of times. I, I go to Philadelphia and to Wilmington every now and then, or I used to go there before COVID, of course, uh, because we collaborate also with uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So when I'm in that area, I always try to, to, to visit him and we had lunch together a number of times. So he, uh, he's been a big uh, inspiration for me. And also people like Bill Bunnell, 
and Henry Cowell and Pete Pizzertillo, who were the staff members at that time. Uh, Randy Betts, who was the president of the SRS a number of years ago, he was another fellow that I met at that time. You know, a number of people that, um, that, that I think uh, are, are great inspiration to, um, in, or in the world of scoliosis. So those are the, probably the most outstanding ones. Also, John Kostwick, whom I met later, uh, I think he's a great person with a tremendous track record, and uh, he's been a, a, a mentor to a certain extent also. It's a funny uh, connection. I went to medical school at the Loma Linda University uh, School of Medicine in Southern California, and the first orthopedic rotation I ever did as a third-year med student uh, was with uh, Dr. Vanell. And at the time, like, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he was known for. Uh, but but doing clinic with him was what uh, really kind of set me off on the path of uh, thinking that I want to do orthopedics. Uh, it wasn't until after I matched later that people uh, told me how famous he was. And I was kind of like kicking myself for not trying to, <laughs> to kind of you know, learn more about him uh, while I was a student there. Yeah. Also, I must mention a guy who he's called Ben Verard. He's a Dutch uh, scoliosis surgeon. And I worked with him not very long, but he, uh, he was one of the outstanding clinicians in scoliosis care in, in the Netherlands, together with Gijs Slot. Some people may know that name because Slot and Zilke together developed um, a rod for anterior correction. So uh, those people are, are basically my mentors. And do you also see the um, French surgeons as your mentors, like Jean Dubousin? Absolutely, absolutely. Jean Dubousin, he, he became maybe I, I can even say a friend over the years. I'm, I'm a member of the Cotrell uh, Foundation and I've been for maybe 15 years now. Met Jean Dubousin and got very close with him and we actually published a, a paper together not very long ago. Because you're right, uh, Dubousin, Cotrell also was, was at those meetings, uh, Pierre Rousseli. Yeah, people like that uh, have been very influential also. Just by talking to them and getting to know them, you're right. So, Tom, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background, like where you were born, what your parents did for a living, and kind of what your journey into medicine has been so far. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be uh, here. I was born 33 years ago in the south of the Netherlands, very close to the Belgium and German border. Both were 10 minutes drive uh, from the city where I lived. Uh, my dad was a GP actually is still a GP one day a week. So he got this COVID vaccine. <laughs> and uh, my mom was a tax lawyer. Um, and I think mostly because of my dad, I went into medicine. Perfect. I know everyone loves, uh, loves tax lawyers, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom, from, uh, from stalking your LinkedIn page, it looks like we both graduated from medical school, I think the same year in 2011. Right. But I know, that, I know the number of years it takes for me to get to practicing independently and for you to get to practicing independently is, is, is somewhat different. For those people who are you know, not familiar with what the medical training is like outside of the United States, kind of what is the process of going from a medical student who wants to do orthopedics to actually uh, being an independent practice? How many years does it take? For me, it took 10 years from medical school to independent practice. And uh, in the Netherlands, it's common after medical school to um, first get some extra clinical experience by, uh, before you can apply for the residency program. Um, and I think the majority of the medical students, they first work as a junior doctor on the wards and a minority will go into a PhD program. 
I chose to do a, to go into a PhD program after my medical school because mostly I had experience during medical school that I really enjoyed doing research and, and the deep dive into one specific subject. Secondly, I thought that a PhD program can boost my professional development yeah, because you should be able to do your own research projects after you finish your PhD program. And I think the third, but for me, least important reason is that you also increase your chances uh, for the application of the residency program. So is there a match like we have in the U.S. system when it comes to applying to residency or do you just send in your application and maybe slip a hundred dollar bill inside there to make sure you know that you get in? There's, there's no true matching system, um, but you apply for a specific residency program and there are like 40 or 50 applicants and five will be selected. Wow. Okay. So, you know, I'm curious, how did this mentorship relationship between you and Renee start? Were you, uh, did you apply to his lab? Like how did this, how did this relationship get going? I think it started with an email because I did, a, as a medical student, I did a research internship on uh, disc arthroplasties at Yale University. And I think after that research uh, project, I sent Renee an email that I undertook some research at Yale University and would like to do research with him on scoliosis. And I think by that time, I started as a medical student um, um, under Renee's supervision. And I experienced mostly that by the, the, the PhD students that were working with Renee at that time and supervised by Renee, that he took a lot of time for supervising his PhD students and helping them with their projects and thinking, uh, thinking making new ideas for future projects. And I think that that was really the start for the uh, mentoring. What I remember is that he was playing hard to get. He was telling me that he was going to do his thesis on, on disc arthroplasty, and he kept, kept continuing that uh, in my face until finally he said, okay, I might consider doing scoliosis research. That's okay. <laughs> now, uh, Renee, I know you are probably inundated with requests from students and residents to get projects going to receive mentorship. How do you split yourself a hundred different ways for like to serve as a mentor or are you more selective with who you decide to kind of spend your time with to you know pour into and mentor this is very much of an intuitive process there has to be some sort of a click and um, that's that's what happened with tom and that's what happened with with some of the other guys also <clears throat> and sometimes it doesn't really work so well i mean i've ex experienced that also but in many cases, it does work once the click is there and there's some sort of a mutual uh, understanding and, 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 and respect. And um, you try to test someone's curiosity, more or less. And that's how many of these projects started. And <clears throat> like I said, when I came to the University of U Utrecht, when I came to the university, I had been thinking about scoliosis because it's an intriguing disorder to me. How does that happen? It's, it's, it's sort of a classical orthopedic disorder that happens to previously very healthy people that, that all of a sudden are, are confronted with a serious problem that, that uh, needs all sorts of treatment, maybe up to surgery with sometimes a complication. So how does that happen? Why does that happen? And, and so the treatment of the disorder is interesting from a technical point of view, but the I might say the philosophical background of why it happens is so much more inter interesting 
than many other disorders. So I was intrigued by that for, for quite some time. And then you, you start discussing and once you get someone like, like a sparring partner, uh, which, which is what Tom definitely was and, and certainly became in the beginning, maybe he needed a little bit of, of uh, guidance and education, but gradually he grew into the subject, of course. And uh, we had very interesting discussions and from one project came the next. And that, that journey still is not finished yet. And Tom is still involved. Tom is at, at the University Medical Center in Utrecht. So my, my previous department. And he still continues in all the research projects. And he has research projects of his own by now also that I'm involved a little bit more from the site in also. But um, so that's, that's how, you, how you develop and how you grow without being able to give us any, any type of a recipe on how to do that. That just, a, it sort of happens naturally, I might say. So that's a great segue then into my next question. So Tom, you know, the SRS has, uh, and a lot of other uh, societies are trying to have these formal mentor-mentee type of programs where they match you to someone and try to uh, kind of help you along your career. You guys were able to develop that more organically what do you think about these programs and do you think societies should be maybe trying to force these mentor-mentee relationships since you've obviously found a great one on your own? definitely think that a mentor-mentee program will help to, to, to in your professional career just for your, for your own scientific and clinical development. I like it most when it's more natural, but, but I think it should not be too casual because then, then it, it's not really a mentorship anymore. And I think it can help many people that do not have a specific mentor working in their center. But, but for those, I think a professional mentor mentee by the SRS can help for smaller countries or uh, places uh, in the world where, where there are not so many scoliosis surgeons. Kind of in closing, you know, in the U.S., sometimes we take our pride in working ourselves to death. I know that's definitely not the case in Europe and other places, but how have you guys uh, defined work-life balance or tried to achieve work-life balance as you become uh, world-renowned spine deformity surgeons, as well as uh, participating members of your own families? What advice would you give for how you guys achieve that work-life balance? <laughs> Tom, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's already partially forced in the Netherlands because the residency program has a maximum of 48 hours a week. Oh, sweet. I like that. So, so I think in that way, it is already forced to a uh, to, uh, good work-life balance. For me, that has been quite different. I mean, I, I spent more than 100 hours a week in the hospital when I was in training. And um, I think the residents are, are still at this point more protected from making many hours than the staff members maybe are but then tom i'm sure also next to your clinical work you you do your papers and you do your research on the side more or less uh, so you make a lot more than 48 hours i'm, I'm sure um, at least i certainly have and um, didn't mind that but um, it's it's important to stay active for me doing some sports has been important to, to stay fit a little bit um, so I guess that's that's how you try to, to get a balance. And I think these newer regulations are probably in favor of having a better professional and private life balance. That's excellent. And finally, when you guys aren't taming scoliosis in the operating room, what are your hobbies? Or what do you guys enjoy doing? 
Well, like I say, I, I still like to do some sports, to do some running. I, I play some tennis, try to play some golf. I'm pretty bad at it, but uh, those kind of things. Try to, try to ride a bicycle every now and then. So that's basically do, do some skiing if I can. So those are the things that, um, that I like to do when I have my, 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 my free time. He actually sports too, because I, I love to play golf. Uh, I play field hockey on a weekly basis um, and skiing in uh, winters. That's awesome. Guys, it has been such an such a honor to speak with both of you all. Uh, and, you know, I, I know many of us are jealous and wish that we uh, had, had had such a great uh, mentorship relationship that you guys have developed. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys again when we're all able to meet in person. Uh, but thank you so much again for taking the time uh, for this SRS podcast. And uh, we hope to see you guys in the future. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Hope to see you soon. Yes. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this latest podcast of the Scoliosis Dialogues, which is a podcast of the Scoliosis Research Society. I hope you guys continue to tune in. We have a lot of great interviews uh, coming down the line on all sorts of topics. Uh, so please stay tuned for our next episodes. The Scoliosis Research Society is a nonprofit professional organization made up of physicians and allied health personnel. Their primary focus is on providing continuing medical education for healthcare professionals and on funding and supporting research in spinal deformities. Please visit srs.org for further information. 